Hey, we're in a series right now uh, that we've been, man, a couple of months in this series called An Upgraded Faith. And it's all based on this phrase that the Apostle Peter drops into a letter that he writes. It's in 2 Peter chapter 1. And this whole idea of an upgraded faith comes from where he says in verse 5 of 2 Peter chapter 1, he says this. He says, make every effort. You guys should be able to repeat this by, by like memory now. Everybody say, make every effort. To add to your faith. Make every effort. Strive. He says, I'm urging you to add to your faith. Listen, this is a powerful concept. You know, I think in church, a lot of times we, we, we you know, kind of are known for getting people to come to faith. Come to faith. Like, put your faith in Jesus. Not in a person, not in a man, not in a woman, not in a church, but in Jesus. Come to faith. Put your trust in him. Right? I mean, churches are known for that. Getting people to come to faith. But here Peter is saying something that I think challenges us and like gets us to stretch our spiritual imagination when we're like, Lord, adding to my faith, upgrading my faith. Like, so you mean, God, that yesterday's faith was good for yesterday, but you got something more for me now that I'm to add to my faith? And he's like, oh yes, I have more for you than you can even imagine. And it's good. But listen, this concept of like adding to your faith, it's like, is Peter the only one that mentions that? Is it? Like, are we basing this whole thing just on like on one little phrase? I really don't believe so, but I think that that's the only place that those exact words are used. But when you start to look in scripture for the idea of adding to our faith, I think you're gonna find it all over the place and come to actually discover this is the normal way God has called us to grow as his followers. I've been thinking about that. You know, it's in Ephesians chapter six that Paul is writing, and he's, he's, he's using the, the metaphor, the illustration of military, right? And if anybody has ever served, and I have not served, I honor those who have and who are serving, but I, I read books, you know, and I, I like a lot of those novels where it's like kind of like some battle stuff and some spy stuff. Anyway, one of the terms you come across is battle rattle. How many of you know what battle rattle is? It is all the combat gear that soldiers wear. It's their battle rattle, right? They've got all this stuff. And I mean, it, it's heavy. It, there's a lot. They've got every part covered. They've got extra gear. They got pockets here. It's all this tactical equipment. Why? Because they are ready to go into conflict. And so Paul says this in Ephesians six thirteen. He says, therefore, get your battle rattle on. He says, put on every piece of God's armor so you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Now check this out. He didn't use the phrase add, he didn't use the phrase add to your faith. You know what he said? Add some armor. Get your battle rattle on. Like don't leave out anything. 
And then he goes through his own list of things that he's saying, add, pick it up and add it to your life of faith. What does he say? He says, put on the belt of truth. Okay, remember that? The chest plate of righteousness, the shoes of peace, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, and then the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So he didn't use the exact same language that Peter does of add to your faith, but it's the same exact concept. Like, don't leave any of the armor out. If you don't got this, you need to upgrade your armor. Add it to your life of faith. Now, when Peter talks to us about adding to our, his, to our faith, he uses a different list of essential upgrades. Seven things, and this is kind of like what we've been working through, what to upgrade, how to upgrade. And so let's refresh our memory with what Peter says, seven essential upgrades are, according to Peter, in this context. And he says this in 2 Peter 1, 5 through 7. He says, make every effort to add to your faith goodness. And to goodness, knowledge. And to knowledge, self-control. And to self-control, perseverance. And to perseverance, godliness. The godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, love. Amazing list. Seven things that, like Paul was talking about, like the upgrade your armor, he's saying upgrade your faith with these things. And as we've mentioned previously in here, why does he say add them? Because they do not come automatically with your faith. Just because you said yes to Jesus does not make you good. That make you good. And you've run across people who say they're Christians, they ain't good. Bummer. They have not yet added goodness to their faith or, or godliness or like we looked at last week, self-control. Those are all things that need to be added to your faith. Now, last week we began talking about these two kind of in the middle that I think may be the most challenging to many of us personally. The ones that are like, oh man, these are tough, these are hard. Last week we began talking about where he says, add self-control. Like you need to add the upgrade of self-control to your faith. But then he follows it up and he says, then add to your self-control perseverance. Perseverance. That's what we're going to be talking about today. So self-control, kind of as a reminder of what we talked about last week, is choosing to do the right thing. But remember, this is like an addition to our faith. So this is not just having like this massive willpower. I'm just, I'm just going to like, you know, no, this is like to our faith we add self-control. So what we talked about is that self-control is really acting or choosing to be in agreement with my spiritual discernment, living in agreement with my spiritual discernment. In other words, God, by his Holy Spirit, is going to lead us and tell us what's right or wrong. 
He's gonna tell us what's best in a given situation. That's called discernment. But self-control is when I choose to live in agreement with that. Rather than go like, well, mm, I think God's wanting me to do this. I'm gonna choose something else. That is not having self-control. Self-control is where we actually decide no. Even though there's a lot of options, I am choosing to live in agreement with that spiritual discernment that God has given me. But how many of you know, self-control is of no value if we only use it when it's easy. Like in other words, there are some things it's easy for you to have self-control on. You know, I don't know what it is for you. You know, but there are certain movies, I'm just not interested in watching those. I'm just like, nah, I'm just not gonna go there. But I don't know what it is for you. There are probably some things that are easy for you to have self-control in. And then there's things that are difficult for you and I to have self-control in because we're all wired a little bit differently. There are some things that are probably pretty common for all of us, but, but there's different things that are hard for you. But self-control is of no value if we only use it when it's easy. Last week, we talked about how we can grow in self-control, and we used the idea of staying away from things that impair our judgment, like that mess with our discernment. So... Alcohol is one of the things that would commonly, you know, be described as things that impair our judgment. So, let's say this week I get invited to a party, and I know that at this particular party, because of who's going to be there and the atmosphere that I know is going to be part of that party, it would be very difficult for me to say no to doing a lot of drinking. Let's just say. So, yay. Self-control. I said no to going into that environment because I know that would drag me downward. This would not be pleasing to the Lord. But using my spiritual discernment says don't go, and so I don't go. Cool. Yay. Gold star. But then the next day, I get some really horrible bad news that's like devastating to my soul. And then I like going to go to the bar. I'm just going to go drown my sorrows. Because I, now I really, really need, you know, do you get it? Yeah. It's like yesterday's self-control was really good. But it's kind of of no value if I don't also have self-control today. Yeah. That's where perseverance comes in. Perseverance is continuing to do the right thing and use that self-control even when things are really, really challenging. So along with my self-control, I need to have the upgrade of perseverance. Perseverance always has three parts. You ready? We're going to put them up on the screen for you. Write them down because this is what we're going to be talking about today. Perseverance always has three parts. There's always waiting involved with perseverance. There's always pressure involved, and there is always a promise. For it to be perseverance, all three of those things 
will be present in the situation. Waiting, pressure, and promise. In fact, here's, I think, a really simple definition of what perseverance is. Combines all those three ideas. Perseverance is waiting under pressure for promised breakthrough. It's waiting under pressure for promised breakthrough. It's this patient endurance. It's like, I'm, I'm gonna hold steady. Even in the most, the darkest of nights for that promised breakthrough of the morning that's coming. So what I would like to do during our minutes together is talk about each one of these things, waiting, pressure, and promise. But I want to do it from a perspective of, okay, what if you were to remove one of those? Would it still be perseverance? So let's, let's talk about this. First, if there is no waiting, I believe there's no perseverance. It's, it doesn't meet the qualifications for what perseverance is if there is no waiting involved. Listen, I hate getting shots. Anybody else? Anybody like, does, do you hate getting shots? I, I got to do blood work a couple times a year. It's like, oh, those blood draws, those pokes. It's like, they are no fun. I hate getting shots. Whether you're putting something into me or taking something out of me, don't like it. But you know what? It's momentary. It is a, it's, a, it's a painful moment. It's a painful little experience. I don't like them. Sometimes they do a little better jab and it's like, ooh, I didn't feel that. That wasn't so bad after all. But you know, it's a, it's, it's a hard moment. Sometimes even a painful moment. But it's not prolonged. And a lot of life is kind of like those little speed bumps that we encounter. It's like, oh man, that was painful. Boom, oh, wasn't expecting that. It's painful in the moment. It's kind of like this little momentary affliction. But then it's gone. And a lot of life is like that. Sometimes every day has its own little speed bumps that we encounter. But that is not perseverance. Perseverance requires a long term waiting. Momentary afflictions, they don't. They're here, they're gone, we move on. But for it to be really persevering, it requires this, this long-term work of waiting that God will use in our lives. But we might ask, wait a second, wouldn't it be better if like, things just like worked instantly for us? Wouldn't that like just be better? Like, man, when I read scripture, isn't, like, isn't, isn't Jesus like the miracle working God? Come on. Isn't he the miracle working God? Absolutely. He's the miracle working God. Man, we see in scripture that there were times that kind of like, picture this like a lightning bolt. Bam. Someone is instantly set free from an affliction, something that was just troubling their life, and boom, God moves in an instant, no perseverance required. They just were set free in a heartbeat. But I want you to think about that. I said like, like a lightning bolt, bam! They were just like set free. Lightning bolts don't strike constantly. And I'm kind of thankful. In fact, I've been in a couple of storms in my lifetime 
where it felt like the lightning was striking constantly. And can I tell you, it's terrifying. It's like, it, it's like I really don't want to be in that kind of a situation because it is, it's actually terrifying. Miracles are unbelievably beautiful, powerful signs of God's character and his ability. Like he really is in charge. And there are times when he will choose to work in an instant. But you know what, when you read the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they're, they're the, the uh, beginning parts of the New Testament that tell the stories of Jesus and you know, his ways and his works and all, all that he did. You know that when you combine all of the miracles that Jesus did, there are fewer than 40 miracles recorded. Now it seems like more because many of the gospels repeat the same miracles. Now, and we also know that there are places where it says, and then he healed all of them. So there are miracles that are not recorded in scripture, for sure. He did a lot more. But here's the thing. It's like, man, if I was writing the Bible, I would put them all in, you know, because I want to convince people that miracles are what you should expect day in and day out. But here we have recorded, like, especially those last three-ish years of Jesus' life, how many days is that? Do the math. This is like over a thousand days, right? Three years over a thousand days. And we have less than 40 miracles that we're told over, over a thousand days. It's pretty remarkable. See, a lot of the time they were walking from place to place. A lot of times they were dealing with you know what, the, uh, the need to avoid the religious leaders who were looking to do what to Jesus? Attack him, kill him, imprison him. During Jesus' life, his uh, cousin, John the Baptist, was, was, was not only imprisoned, but was beheaded, right? These are the kinds of things that were going on during the time of Jesus' ministry. And so Jesus was traveling, he was preaching, he was speaking, he was teaching, he was teaching people to stick with it, to go forward, to persevere in the midst of. And so it's amazing to me that, yes, is Jesus the miracle working God? Absolutely. But the fact is that like, it is, that's the lightning bolt moment. All the other 99% of the time is the persevering waiting for God to show up. And it's through waiting, I believe, that we're reminded that it's God who is powerful, not us. If I never had to wait for that breakthrough, God, you promised, boom, I get it right now. You know, after a while, if I always got what I wanted immediately, Pretty soon, you know what it would develop in my mind? Something really ugly. Yeah. I would think that I just, it just always works out in my favor. Instantly, boom, right now. I would start to assume that it's because of me. Because I'm so good. Because I got it all right. Because I've got this all figured out. And I would begin to assume that because of that, that guess what? It ain't about God, it's about me. Check out my life that is just perfect and I get everything instantly. 
Now waiting reminds us, God, this is about you. This is about your power and your promise. And God, I'm going to just keep leaning into you because you are the one who is going to bring breakthrough in my story. Micah, one of the prophets in the Old Testament, listen to how he put this in Micah 7.7. He says, as for me, I look to the Lord for help. I love this. I wait. Everybody say wait. Confidently. For God to save me. And my God will certainly hear me. Woo! Confident waiting. Not just like waiting like sitting on my hands, but there's, I'm, I'm pressing in. Listen, guys, to persevere, there will be waiting involved. This is long-term, not short-term. This is a marathon, not a sprint. Okay? Second thing, waiting under pressure. If there is no pressure, there is no perseverance. You remove the pressure, you ain't persevering. How many of you have been in a long line at Disneyland? <laughs> oh, yeah. oh, I, you know, it's like, will this ever end? Happiest place on earth. Mm, okay. Oh God, if I can only persevere just one more minute, one more step, Lord, you can help me. Listen, that is not persevering. You may be learning patience, but that is not persevering, just being in a long line at Disneyland. So just waiting when there's really not that pressure involved isn't what God is calling us to when he says to upgrade your faith with perseverance. Listen, pressure does a couple of things in our stories. One, it's in Matthew 7, 17, that Jesus says that a good fruit will always produce good, or a good tree will always produce good fruit. And he says a bad tree will always produce bad fruit. Can't do otherwise. You know how you reveal what's inside fruit? Pressure. Pressure will always reveal what's inside me. You put me under pressure. What is inside of me will always leak out. And here's what I've discovered. It doesn't matter how hard I'm being squeezed. Sometimes it's just a little bit of pressure. Just that little, little squeeze What's, I, I cannot produce something that I don't have already in me. What's inside of me is gonna come out. But you know what? It also doesn't matter if I am in a season where I am being crushed, like it feels like I'm being run over by a steamroller. And like everything is coming gushing out. It's still what's in me that is gonna come out of me. And it's the same that is true for you. Sometimes we need that pressure applied to our lives so that we realize, oh, that was what was inside of me. What comes out of you when you're under pressure? And again, it could be a little pressure or it could be a lot. 
but you will never be able to produce something out of your life that isn't inside of you. I believe that God will use pressure to reveal. God, wouldn't there be an easier way? Just tell me what's inside of me. Well, he says, I've given you my word. I've given you my Holy Spirit. But sometimes, guess what? I'm also gonna use pressure to show you what's really, truly inside of you. Oh. God, I wish it was prettier. He said, okay, we'll work on that. We'll work on that. We'll work on those things. Because not only does pressure reveal what's inside of me, pressure is what causes me to grow. It's what causes me to move forward in my maturity and in my faith. And we see this different places, like talk to us about in the New Testament, but it's James who uses these words in the first chapter of James. He says this in verse two to four. He says, consider it pure joy. <laughs> my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials, of many kinds. Uh, let's just stop there and just think about that for a moment. It is so counterintuitive. We don't want trials. We don't want troubles. We dislike pressure. It's why we go on vacation. Can I just get, it, can I just get away from this for a while? Calgon, take me away. You know, it's like, I, I just need that spa day, right? I need, I need to do whatever, you know, to kick my feet back up and watch some Sunday afternoon football. I, I, I need a break. We, in our natural lives, we avoid pressure. But listen to what he is saying here. Thank you, James. Do you know James is the brother of Jesus? Wasn't one of the disciples, like that's named, wasn't one of the 12 disciples, but he became a follower of his brother. He watched his brother go to the cross. And he writes to us saying, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials, of many kinds. Why? Why, James? Because you know that the testing of your faith produces what? Perseverance. Oh, perseverance. Where there is no pressure, there is no perseverance. It requires pressure for us to grow and to upgrade our faith with perseverance. And then I love what he says here, though, because just check this out. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. I mean, what an amazing idea. It's like, this is how I like grow whole. I, I become whole, complete, not lacking anything in my marriage, in my relationships, how I respond at work, how I respond under pressure. How do I become whole and complete? Mm. By learning to persevere. Let perseverance finish its work 
All right, God. Not only does perseverance require waiting, but it requires pressure. So I'm gonna trust you when I'm feeling pressed upon. You're using this to reveal things that are inside of me so that I can grow to be mature, not lacking anything. Why? Because he wants us to be whole. He wants us to not be lacking anything. Third thing, promise. If there is no promise, there is no perseverance. This one probably is making you scratch your head just a little bit more. It's like, wait a second, waiting under pressure, shouldn't that be like sufficient for perseverance? I don't believe so. I believe that waiting under pressure, when there is no promise of God, all it is is suffering. Waiting under pressure where there is no promise of God, all that is is suffering. What turns it from suffering to perseverance is this one thing and it changes everything. It's the promise of the living God that breakthrough is coming. Breakthrough is coming. Sorrow may last for a night, but joy comes in the morning. It's the promise of breakthrough that makes perseverance, listen, an act of faith. It's the promise of God. It's the promise of breakthrough. It's the promise of his presence that actually transforms this from just suffering to something that is this spiritual upgrade. It requires a promise. It's holding on even through challenge and pain because of what God has said. Listen, my life verse, and I'm not gonna take a long time on this because I think we're gonna come back to this in a couple of few weeks and actually talk more in depth about what I'm gonna share with you. But if you've hung out any time with me, you know that my life verse is Hebrews 10, 23. This is what it says. Memorize it. It'll change your life. It says this, let us hold unswervingly. Hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess. Why? Because he who promised is faithful. I love those words, hold unswervingly. Like there's gonna be a lot of reason in our life to swerve. There's gonna be a lot of things. There's gonna be pressure that is going to like be pressing on you so hard that it's like, I just wanna turn away. I just wanna go to the left. I wanna go to the right. I don't wanna hold on steady. I don't wanna like press through this storm. I want to avoid it. But we're told Hold unswervingly. So, back in the old days, sailors would get tattoos, right? You've seen all the old pictures of like funky old tattoos on, on, but I love one of the tattoos that the old sailors would get. And it's based out of this idea because some of the translations don't use the words hold unswervingly. You know what they say? says, hold fast, hold fast. So the sailors would get these knuckle tattoos 
Hold fast. And you know what they would use that for? A storm is coming, and they would turn to their friends on the ship, and you know what? That's all they had to do. That's all they had to do. Hold fast. Don't give up. We're going to make it through this storm. You can persevere through it. Hold fast, mama. Hold fast, David. Hold fast, other David. I've never got a tattoo on my body. My mom has some tattoos. You have to ask her about those. True start. Okay, it was one of those little pre-surgery things. They just put some dots on you to like. But we can never let her live it down. Her cigar smoking is something else. That's not true either. Okay. I, I never got a tattoo, but there's like, you know, like sometimes you just dream about the tattoo you would get. Remember, I don't like shots. I don't like needles. I, I don't know if I'd ever get one. But I'll tell you, hold fast is one of those things. Maybe a big anchor. Maybe a ship. Because it's, it's Hebrews 10.23, people. I want that. I, I need that constant reminder. So I've got it hanging on the wall of my office. And I'll tell you what. It's hanging on the interior of the soul of my life. Hold fast. Yes. Hold fast. But here's the difference between what Hebrews 10.23 says and what sailors would do with hold fast. What a sailor was saying hold fast was like, we're going to make it through. Check it out. You can survive. We've survived a lot of these storms before. But it's up to you. It's up to your power to do the holding. Like, don't let go, right? But listen to what Hebrews 10.23 says. Listen to it again. Let us hold unswervingly. Hold fast to the hope that we profess. Why? Because he who promised is faithful. Because he who promised is faithful. In other words, we have a faithful God who has spoken promises to you, Maddie. Faithful God who's spoken promises And when you catch that in your spirit, you realize because he is faithful, I can be faithful. Because he is faithful, he has created me to be walk in his image, to be more like him. Because he is faithful, I can be faithful. And you know what sustains us? His promise. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I've gone ahead of you to prepare a place for you. I did not come to condemn the world, but to save the world. I don't condemn you. I'm here to save you because of my love for you. While we were yet sinners, he loved us. Like promises, 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 promises. Friends, his promise changes everything. And it empowers our perseverance. God, because of what you have said, I can make it through. Waiting, pressure, promise. I I have some other notes here that I'm not going to get to all of them because, listen, when you read through scripture, there are so many illustrations of people who based their life on this and made it through. 
Like they're the heroes of our faith. You just pick one person like, oh, that's my favorite character in the Bible. Maybe you've never even read the Bible, but you still know about somebody, right? You know about David or you know about Joseph because you saw like the Prince of Egypt movie when you were a little kid and you know he went through a lot of bad things, pressure, a lot of waiting, but he had this promise on his life God had shown him prophetic dreams, like that someday there's going to be breakthrough. I don't know how this is coming. It doesn't make sense. I'm in prison today. I've been betrayed by my brother. I've been betrayed by my boss's wife. I'm now in prison. Other people are getting out of prison. Year one, year two, still in prison. Breakthrough. Because he persevered. He didn't give up. He kept leaning into the promise that was over his life. I could take you lots of different places. Let me just show you one of these ideas because I think it's a huge one that I don't think we realize all the time. It is the Israelites. It's the Israelites. How many of you know they were enslaved in Egypt for 400-ish years? Long, long time. And then Moses is born, and you may know that story, that Moses is born a slave during a time when they were killing all the baby boys. He's miraculously rescued because of this vision that his parents have of like, no, this is something, there's something different. There's something, a promise over our son. And they put him out on a little boat and guess who picks him up? It's Pharaoh's daughter. He ends up getting raised in Pharaoh's home rather than in the slave home. It's pretty incredible. But then things take a turn and it's like, oh my gosh. He tries to take things into his own hands. He kills one of the Egyptian slave masters. People find out about it and now he has to run. He's a murderer. And so he runs from Egypt. And he ends up becoming part of a, a new family. Marries a woman, he's a shepherd. And for 40 years, he's just out there. There'd been a promise on his life, something that we read about in actually Hebrews chapter 11. His parents had seen something. This was no ordinary child, something of promise on this boy's life. He'd grown up hearing this. He knew something is unique in my story. But his people are all in slavery, like a, a whole nation, all the Israelites, they were all enslaved. And then God shows up and calls him to be used as a redeemer. Go get my people. Get my people. How did the Israelites for 400 years persevere? So we know, we can like remember, you remember that story. And ultimately, man, they, they, they exit through this amazing series of miracles. How did they make, how did they persevere? Generation after generation, people being born, people dying. People being born in slavery, people dying in slavery. Next generation, 400 years. How did they persevere? You're like, I don't know, I can persevere 40 days. 400 minutes. How? how? Do you know what? It's God's promise. Did, did you know that? I, I want to show you. It's in Genesis 15. 
Hundreds of years before they even went to Egypt. What? But I'll tell you what. Every one of those Israelites, they knew this story. They knew what was spoken to Abraham, whose name was still Abram, by the way. Genesis 15, 13 and 14. Then the Lord said to Abram, you can be sure that your descendants will be strangers in a foreign land where they will be oppressed as slaves for 400 years. But I will punish that nation. I will punish the nation that enslaves them. And in the end, they will come away with great wealth. So they waited and waited under pressure and more pressure and increased oppression from these slave masters, the Egyptians. They waited and they waited. Why? Because God had said, at the end of this story, you ain't gonna be slaves anymore. I've got something for you as a people. I have something for you. And they're like, I don't know if this is gonna happen in my lifetime. But you know what? God said it. I am persevering. I am pressing through. I am not giving up. I am not turning my back on God. And then guess what? Moses is born. Set my people free. And then God shows up and his people get set free. Friends, it's not enough to be good. It's not enough to have knowledge. It's not enough to have self-control. We must be people who upgrade our faith with perseverance. Listen, pressure's coming anyway. It can come whether you want it or not. So why not learn to hold fast? Why not learn to hold fast, not in your own strength, because God, you have held fast to me because you are faithful and you have promised. And because of that, I can persevere even through the darkest of nights. Jesus, we thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you, Father, for how you work in our lives Uh, Lord, we even say along with James, Lord, we want to learn how to count it pure joy when we face trials of all different kinds. God, because we know that that pressure is not only revealing things about who and what we are, revealing things about our character that would never come out if we weren't under pressure. But Lord, not only does it reveal things about us, but God, you use it transformationally in our life. You cause that pressure to make us grow if we persevere, if we allow perseverance to do its work in our stories. So Jesus, we wanna grow in this. God, next year, we want to have fewer times in our story where we say, man, I gave up, I I swerved, I went to the left or the right. God, next year, wouldn't it be remarkable if my maturity grew to a place where I was giving in less and I was holding fast more? And then the year after that, Lord, I look back and I don't even remember two years ago because I am growing in maturity. I am learning to stand on the rock 
so that even when the storms of life come, I am not tipped over. Because I'm standing on you, standing on your word. I am standing on your promise. So Jesus, help us in this process. If any of you say, God, I, I need to grow in perseverance, would you just put that in your own words to him? Say, Jesus, help me to grow strong in you. Help me to hold fast to you. Help me to learn your promises, Lord, so that they can become, Lord, the fabric of my life that I'm not making decisions based on how I feel or what I've done before or what other people are pressuring me into, but God, I can make decisions based on what you have said. And listen, if there's any here today and you're like, this all sounds good, but I don't even know God's promise. I, I, I don't even know, like, how would I even take the first step? Listen, to take the first step, all you need to know is that he loves you so much that he died for you, to cleanse you, to, to forgive you, to wash away all the brokenness, all the sin, all the yuck, all the, the stuff that you don't want as part of your life anyway. And just accept it. Say, yes, Jesus, I receive you. I receive your work in my life. That's where it begins. Allowing Jesus to be your savior. Then you can begin learning to make him your Lord. But I'll tell you what, it starts with just saying yes to him. And if there's anybody today that's like, oh man, pastor, I need that. I, I wanna say yes to Jesus. I need his forgiveness. I need to start with him today. And if that's you, just stick your hand up and say, pastor, that's me. That's me, yeah, okay, see in the back, yeah. Anybody else that just says today is my day to start a relationship with Jesus. Praise the Lord. Friends, the road is long. There will be challenges, there will be pressure. But in him, we can stand strong and make it through as we persevere. I'm gonna ask the ministry team to come up Hey, before you leave today, make sure you get prayer. Anybody who needs prayer for any particular thing and those who are saying yes to Jesus, man, make sure you come up and say, man, I just said yes to Jesus today. Would you just pray for me? We have some awesome people who would love to just partner with you in prayer, no matter what it is you're going through or facing. And man, I, I just love you so much. Look forward to uh, being with you again next Sunday. Church, you're loved. Have an amazing week. Hold fast.